Well, welcome everybody. I am so excited to be here. I have a message that's in my heart. It is so full and it's what we've been hearing here for over 10 years. But you know, when God gets a hold of your heart, when you're going through a situation that you believe nothing can touch it, nothing is there, nothing is bigger than it. And God just comes and from within you, he shows you who he is and he just bursts out of you. And that's the experience that I've had over the last few months. So um, the title of the gospel is Consumed by the Foolishness of the Gospel. Okay, we're going to pray first. Father, I thank you that you want to show each one of us in a real way deep in our hearts that you are the one that matters. You matter more than anything else in this world. And because that's the truth, you have the ability as we go and rest and sit at your feet to show us who you are. So that as we're looking at you, the things of this world grow strangely dim. Not only strangely dim, it's as if they disappear and we can laugh at them because of you, not because of what we do. Amen. Today, I wanna to put the cross on display for you in a different way than maybe I've done before, but it's God's heart bared open for you, for me, for everybody that's hungry to hear. God gave his all on the cross to show us the only way to life. And because we've lived in this carnal world and we do walk on the ground and we do eat meals at a kitchen table, it's very easy for us to get wrapped up into the carnal things of this world because they're around us all the time. But what I have found is that when we hit a crisis and all of a sudden those things which you thought were so important, all of a sudden aren't, the heart becomes very open to God and what he wants to say. So what I've found out over the last several months is that the foolishness of the gospel is very talkative. The faith of the Son of God has a lot to say. It comes to eradicate every lie of lack. I want you to think about how many times in a day you might get attacked by the lie of lack. God has something to say each and every time to eradicate that lie. He comes to lead us to green pastures and to the still waters. He sits us down at the table of life in the presence of our enemies and lets us know we can be still and let him be God. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19 Paul says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. I don't think I ever really understood that scripture as much as um, God's been showing me lately. 
so much of that is tied up in the carnal thinking and that we think we think like God thinks because we have the mind of Christ but we get attacked so much carnally the way the carnal mind thinks that's the wisdom that God wants to destroy that's what he's going after do you know why because he knows it hurts us he sees what it does to us and he wants to set us free from it and he knows that if he can set us free from it we're going to find out that there is nothing in this world that can harm us and I got to tell you that's what I've learned over the last few months I thought a lot of things could hurt me I thought a lot of things could harm me and I spent most of my life dodging them <laughs> I'm really good at dodging them all <laughs> I dodge them and especially when you know where your weaknesses are you can avoid them and get around them a lot and it gives you the false sense that um, everything's okay but when the crisis comes you can't hide anymore you can't run what's in your heart is coming up and you can't stop it and that's when you say Abba Abba I can't but you can so this gospel that's so foolish to man what makes it that way it's man's way of thinking without God and man wants to do there it is the carnal man wants to get life from this world and in his own strength and he wants the credit the faith of the Son of God continually brings us back to the truth it isn't about what we do it's about what he's done now you know that really sets us free doesn't it until we come to a circumstance where in our great wisdom it looks like God's not doing anything or he's not doing it the way we want him to do it or in the timing that he wants to do it and that's when we get into trouble John 3 16 says it's the foolishness of believing that we receive everlasting life not by working for it and we're not just talking about that everlasting once we leave this earth I'm talking about every day everlasting we have eternal life every day of our lives we don't have to live being in the the mud and the yuck of this world God in his strength can rise us above it so mankind was raised in a system of work you know that's just what we're raised in Adam and Eve brought it into the world when they were tricked so I'm going to read you a few of these uh, quotes from people this is by Malcolm Gladwell if you work hard enough and assert yourself and use your mind and imagination you can shape the world to your desires Wow but do you know think about it in our little bitty realm <laughs> of life that's what we try to do when we're thinking carnally we're trying to shape things to be the way we want them to be and that's our little world Samuel Goldwyn said the harder I work the luckier I get <laughs> Ayn Rand says there's nothing of any importance in life 
except how well you do your work. Whoa. Do you see that the carnal thinking, it doesn't just want a little piece of your pie. It wants to take it all. It wants to overcome you. It wants to overwhelm you. So that's all you're ever thinking out of. Here's another one. If you don't work for it, then why do you think you deserve it? Mm -hmm. Your level of success is only predetermined by your level of effort. Now, I'm not here saying you shouldn't work. And I'm not here telling anybody to go and quit your job. Please don't misunderstand me. <laughs> However, it's because we're living in this carnal world and because those things are in place, when it comes to our relationship with God, we tend to just bring that into it with him. And we don't realize that he's saying, no, 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 you don't have to do anything. I'm going to do it all. And that's so foreign to us. But that's the foolishness of the gospel. It isn't what we do. And we do deserve it, not because of what we've done, but because of who we are. I cringe every time I read somebody on Facebook say we don't deserve it. We do deserve it. We are God's children. We're in his family. Yes, because of what he did, but he chose to do it. Galatians 3.1, Paul tells the Galatians that they're foolish. And who has bewitched them that they wouldn't obey the truth? And he says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to perfect yourself by your own efforts? Oh, the carnal mind. So many times we don't realize it. We try to get life for ourselves. We, it's, so, it's so common to us that many times we don't even realize we're doing it. I've realized it a lot in the last few months because I'm hearing the faith of the Son of God so many times every day. It's like as soon as my carnal mind starts off in a direction, I hear God. And he's saying, no rest, no rest. You don't, we don't have to figure anything out. It's not just the doing. Before we do, we have to figure, right? Because you want to make sure you're going to do the right thing. Well, God does that part for us too. He figures it out for us. A few weeks ago, Matt uh, preached about uh, contradictions. And I was so excited because I was getting ready to preach around uh, about then too. And I used a different word. I used foolishness. <clears throat> but what he preached on just magnified so much of what God was talking to me about. So our gospel is filled with these contradictions to the carnal man. Only to the carnal man. So a contradiction uh, for the purpose of this sermon is just a statement or an idea that's opposed to another. So God says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you hear any works in there? No. Giving, attending, serving? No. Hearing. 
faith comes. That scripture is so simple, but the carnal mind, being in the church, messed it all up. We can mess up the simplest of things if we're thinking like men instead of God. Whose faith is this talking about? God's faith. Not our faith, but we took that little bitty short scripture and we started developing our great faith. And we were looking all the time for what we were supposed to do to develop and how strong was it. And if something didn't get answered in the time that we wanted a prayer, we went to work on our faith. Oh, I can remember being in a church and I taught these little bitty children. I've said, God, it's not my burden. See, God's been talking to me so much. It's not my burden to go and correct what I taught those kids. You go and teach them. But I would give them each 10 pennies and tell them this is your faith, your faith. And when you want something from God, you bring your three pennies and God will give you what you're asking for. Why did I teach that? That's what I was taught. That's what I was taught. And it reduced the faith of the Son of God to man's carnal thinking and a monetary system from the world. Mm-mm-mm. And then what is the faith that comes? What does that faith do? Does it demand from us or does it provide for us? That faith comes and it performs a work in our heart. And as I get into the sermon a little bit uh, more, I'm going to share what's happened personally to me in the last uh, few months <clears throat> and how I found out that this faith, I didn't need to develop it. It's been being developed every week that I've been hearing the truth about God. It's in there. And when it meets a crisis, it rises up and it says, this is my answer. And you just sit and rest. It's like being on the front row of an amazing, amazing movie. And you watch the main actor in the movie, who's God. And you watch what he does with this big thing going on in your life. And he takes it in his hand and he just crushes it. And it's a little powder that you, and it's gone. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. It's what he does. It's what he provides for us. First Corinthians 1 says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In chapter 2, it says, But the natural man, the carnal man, receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. The gospel is full of foolishness to the carnal mind. There are so many examples of this in the Bible. We could be here all week. I mean, I had to cut out so many things because I thought, well, you know, how do you, how do you limit the faith of the Son of God. I mean, he is active constantly. 
So I went to him and I said, take out everything that isn't gonna, we don't have time for. So these are the few things, <laughs> these are the few things that kind of, he lit up to me. One of them is the scripture that says, be perfect as God is perfect. Wow, I've been tormented by that sermon. I don't know if you have, but I know how perfect God is and I knew I couldn't get there. But I thought he wanted me to in the carnal teaching that I had received. But how was God perfect? That's who he is. That's who he is. That's how we are perfect. It's who we are. It's how God creates us. It's his spirit, his life inside of us. We can rest because we are perfect. That's being perfect as God is perfect. We are made perfect by God's perfection. When he created us, he had his righteousness for us, not by our own efforts, but as a free gift. One of the other things that God highlighted to me was the scripture in John 10, 10. The thief comes not for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now that scripture was thrown around a lot. In fact, I'd say more than John 3, 16. It was a big deal. It was right at the top. You know, I had plaques all over my house. And you know what? Jesus said that. It's not that it's wrong. It's what does the carnal mind do with it? So my carnal mind and the other people of like carnal minds said that this abundant life is getting everything you want in this world. Think about it. No flat tires. Hey. No car breaking down. Never a disagreement with your spouse. Whoa. That's what we wanted. That was what abundant life was. Everything to go our way. Something's wrong with that, people. I don't know why we didn't catch on, but if you look at Jesus' life, could it possibly be what we thought it was? Was his life abundant in that way? No. Yet we know that he had the most abundant life that any man had ever lived. We also know it can't be that because Solomon got all those things. And what did he say about it at the end? It's vanity. It's worthless. Paul said it in a little more graphic way. He said it's dung. Sometimes us carnal minds need it more graphically so we can really understand. You know, we need to have the smell too to go with it. <laughs> some, of us are, some of us are a little more hard-headed than others, being me. <laughs> so what happens, and I've mentioned this before, is when you get your eyes on the carnal without realizing it's happening, you're taking your eyes off of Jesus. You're thinking, because you've been taught, that that's what Jesus wants you to do, but that isn't. That's a lie. God said to set our affection on the things above, not on the things of this earth. So this foolishness of the carnal mind waters down the truth of the gospel, and it makes it about acquiring temporary things on this earth and tries to tempt us to believe that those temporary things 
or where we're supposed to get love and joy and peace. And you know why we believe that? Because when we first get the new car, we do have a little bit of joy. Until it breaks down. We get that great meal and man, it's just awesome. And then it's gone. You ate it. <laughs> you consumed it. It was temporary. It didn't last forever. The kind of life that God is talking to us about is something that will last forever. It's something, something that will supersede the troubles and the crisis that we might face in this world. When Jesus was in the garden and he sweat blood and he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass by me. He knew he was headed to the cross. He had already told his disciples more than once. He knew that was the only way to set mankind free from sin and death and that it was the foolishness of the gospel. Why does that seem so foolish to man? It put all the burden on God and none on man. It was a gospel that would exalt and glorify man, a gospel that would raise a man to his true value and worth of God himself, a gospel that would bring man into God's family, a gospel that said man doesn't have to lift one finger in his own strength to be exalted. Think about all the things men have done to try to exalt themselves. Mm. Man would be exalted by God himself. That's the abundant life that Jesus was talking about. How does that compare to a car? Very, very low. But until we get to see or hear the gospel preached so that this faith of the Son of God can come and persuade our hearts, the things of this world look pretty good to us. And that's where the problem comes in. And that's why it's so important we say here so many times in this church, hear and keep hearing. The world is going to bring things at us at all, all the time trying to get us to think that well, this is more important or that's more important or you got to have this to feel good. As we keep hearing the gospel, the true gospel, the faith of the Son of God will come in and it will just dissipate those lies. Mm -hmm. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affection on the things above, not on the earth. I don't think that's a work either because I made that a work also. Uh, I made everything a work because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. But God has shown me, let him set my affection. Let it be him showing me and proving to me that the things above are more valuable than the things on earth. They are better. They last forever. And they give me a level of love, joy, and peace that I've never gotten from anything in this world. God, in the last probably four months, has taken things that I have been afraid of all of my life, and I worked really hard, not realizing I was doing it, to avoid those things. You know, you can skirt around things and 
just say, no, I'm not going to go there, or no, I'm not going to watch this, or I don't know why, but that upsets me so much, so I'm just not going to get near it. And I thought it worked. I thought it worked for a whole lot of years, for decades. But then I found out it didn't work at all. And what God has done was, he's taken those things that I was so afraid of, that actually, if we realize it, fear is worse than the real thing. Isn't that just the strangest? <laughs> I'm so amazed that the fear was worse than the real thing. And he can just take care of it so easy. So I'm going to give you an example of how easy it is to get off first before I share with you all the things God's been doing. So a few, once, a few months ago, one of my granddaughters had left a school, school project at the house. And so I wanted to bring it to school so she wouldn't get a zero. Well, getting into a high school building in Slidell is a major ordeal at least where she goes. You can't just walk into the building, you have to buzz outside and they look at you and eye you up and decide <laughs> if they think you're an okay person or not. So anyway, I was waiting to get buzzed in and while I was waiting, a good family friend came up also and he was waiting to be buzzed in. His son had left his project at home. So we were both there doing the same thing. So this, this family friend used to actually be a coach at the school and a teacher. So we, they buzz us in, we both go in together, and the worker, you know, the receptionist, oh, hi, coach so-and-so, what do you need? Oh, my son left his project, can I give it to him? Sure, let me call him to the office right now. Calls him to the office, he's waiting to give him the project. So go, I go up feeling all good. I said, my granddaughter left her project here and I'd like to give it to her. No. No. You give me the project and I will call her to the office when the bell ring. Now I look on the desk of the receptionist and there are a lot of projects <laughs> sitting there. And I'm going, what are the chances she's going to get this? And then I watched my family friend with his son handing him the school project as I'm leaving. I mean, I could feel hot tears behind my eyes. There was a damn just wanting to break out. So unfair. And I said, God, this isn't right. This world is all about who you know. And because that receptionist knew that guy, his son gets the project, and who knows if my granddaughter's going to get hers. Guess what God said? You're right. It is all about who you know. <laughs> Whoop! I mean, he can cut through like nobody's business, and he doesn't have to say a lot, does he? You know what he means when he says it to you. Oh, yes. It is about who... I know. Okay, that's level one. Level two, I still care about my granddaughter, and is she going to get that project? Sometimes, sometimes you've got to wrestle with God. You know, the first time he talks, even though it grabs your heart, and you know he's right, it doesn't settle the issue for you deep down inside. And you know, that's where God wants it settled. 
He wants it settled deep down inside so that we can be at rest and peace and the things of this world don't have the power to torment us. So God started talking to me and he said, not only do you know me, you have me. You have eternal life. You couldn't lack anything if you tried. And I'm sitting there thinking about that project. <laughs> that sure looks like lack to me. <laughs> and then, you know, what, what do they call it, the cherry on top? He said, how can you lack anything when you're seated at my right hand? Now, that might not get it for somebody else. However, more God had to talk to my heart, he would have. But that did it for me. When I am seated at the right hand of God, I'm not going to be thinking about some project for some 10th grader in 19 or 2021. You know, that's just not going to be in my heart and in my mind. My heart has been captivated by eternity and immortality. That is the answer. That is the answer. And God knew nothing short of that would do it for us. And that's why he came in human flesh and died on a cross and went into the grave and was raised from the dead so we could see that. That is what matters. So there I was. I found myself seated at God's right hand, living in the Godhead, having God's life of immortality, and I'm thinking I'm lacking because of a school project. What if I wouldn't have talked to God? I could have stayed in that awful carnal place. But because I did, and I continued to talk to him until he satisfied the issues in my heart, I walked away with peace. My granddaughter did get her project, but had she not, how big is God? I mean, really, how big is God? He's bigger than anything that can go on in our lives in this world. And he says, I am your God, and I want to prove it to you, and I'll show you. Okay, so here's another one that God um, highlighted for me. In Philippians 4, Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. <laughs> That'll shake us up. Do you find yourself living in contentment 24-7? I don't. I don't. I find that the things of this world, because of carnal thinking, can pull at me and tempt me to think that I can't be content. How can you be content if the next bill's come and you don't think you have the money to pay for it? How are you content there? How are you content when you're sick? How are you content when your car breaks down on the interstate? Paul said he learned. Guess who he was taught by? The faith of the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit who calls himself our comforter. When we don't feel contentment, our comforter right there 
is to bring us to a place of contentment, even if the circumstances don't change. So Paul continues on and he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So our comforter, the faith of the Son of God is there with us, whether we're abounding, he's talking to us, he's telling us how much he loves us, or if we're in need, he's there talking to us then. So as we listen to him and as we let him persuade our hearts, our contentment level can be equal in both situations. That's the foolishness of the gospel. And the carnal mind goes tilt, tilt, tilt. And to be honest, that's okay. We all have tilt moments. <laughs> and we're going to continue to have tilt moments. The good news is that God will always be with us. He knows the tilt moments are coming before we do. And he has the answers. I had said that the faith of the Son of God is uh, very talkative. So he's around all the time. I didn't realize he was talking to me as much as he has been. But what I have discovered over the last few months is, you ever been so busy that somebody's talking to you and maybe you just don't hear them? Well, I was so busy trying to protect my own life that I didn't hear him talking. But he was talking. He was talking all the time. I just didn't catch it. He wanted to give me his perspective, and I couldn't get it easily. God calls us to sit and talk and listen to him and hear his wisdom instead of trying to churn and figure out and analyze what's going on and then try to fix it. He wants to set our minds free from the yoke of fear and death. Fear and death in this world stops us from receiving the life of his joy and peace and love. It's not that it's not there. Not only is it there, it's inside of us. But when we're busy going after different things, it's not so easy to hear it. The greatest foolishness of the gospel we see in the cross. It looked like Jesus failed to the carnal mind, didn't it? I mean, he died. He was beaten and portrayed as a criminal, and it looked like he lacked a father to care for him. He was abandoned by most of his followers. He was betrayed by Peter and marred beyond recognition. But he died away death for you and me. He divorced us from the serpent's belief system. He came out of the grave immortal and gave that same life to us as a free gift. Is that a failure? No. It's the greatest love story that ever was. 
The foolishness of the gospel is God coming and dying for us that would bring forth many brethren. It was God coming to us not to punish us, but to give us his life freely. Okay, here's another one. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen. So we're not going to look at the things that we see right in front of us. But we're going to look at the things that we can't see. <laughs> For the things which are seen that we can see are only temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. The carnal mind can't do that. Man can't do that in themselves. We have eyes. We look at the things in the world, and that's what we look at until God comes and gives us something better to look at. He gave us Jesus, raised from the dead, immortal, never to die again. That's where our gaze should be. That's where he's bringing our gaze to. We can't do it in our own strength. I've many times said, God, teach me how to focus on the resurrection. I don't even know what that means. I don't have any trouble now. And I certainly didn't do it. I'm not the one that changed my focus. He changed it. But that's all you got to do is cry out in your need and your want and say, God, show me what you want me to see. It's so easy, and yet sometimes for us, it's so hard. <clears throat> we can really see the contradiction in this, this uh, particular verse because the natural or the carnal mind in man sees only with his visible eyes. He doesn't have the ability to see what God sees, but the spiritual man has had his eyes opened by God, and he sees what God sees the life that God has. And it makes it so that he's not bound to the things of this world. Here's one that's really meant a lot to me. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What a contradiction. The outside is mortal. Our earthly bodies are mortal. They're decaying day by day. But on the inside, we have God dwelling in us, and he's renewing us every day. That word renew means renovate, new, freshness, and regenerate. That's what the faith of God is doing inside of us, not us. God is persuading our hearts about what's really important about the source of life, what the source of life is, and where it really comes from. I think we can all agree, we all want love, we all want joy, and we all want peace. And we wanna have it all the time. There's the problem. <laughs> we wanna have it all the time. And so we're going to a place that can't give it to us all the time. This earth can't give it to us all the time. It doesn't have it in itself to give. And it doesn't even have the real deal. I have found over the last few months, the love that I thought I was going after, 
from the things of this world, it's nothing compared to the love that God has put in my heart. The peace is nothing compared to what the peace of God is. And the joy, the joy, just like it says, unspeakable glory. I mean, it's like once you get it and you've had it happen, you realize there isn't anything in the world that can give it to you. It's just not possible. <clears throat> the love and the peace and the joy that God has for us, it's eternal. It doesn't die. It doesn't vanish. It doesn't wash away. It isn't fragile. God's peace passes all understanding. What does that mean? It means you can have God's peace when everything is going wrong. Now, I didn't used to believe that. I'm going to be honest. But I believe it now. And when the day comes and I'm tempted to not believe it, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sit at God's feet and let him persuade me until I'm re-persuaded again that, yes, that is the truth. So since the time I was a little bitty girl, I've had a severe fear of death and a severe fear of fear, <laughs> which you can have fear of fear and it can really mess up your life bad. And it's because of the things that I, I witnessed as a child in satanic rituals. But the worst part of it, it isn't what, what happened. It's that I was told it was happening because God wasn't there and God didn't care. And in my heart, something very ungodly happened. And I began to connect death with the absence of God. Oh, boy, that's really tough. I didn't realize that it was even there in my heart, although I knew I had issues. You know, I talked about skirting around things <laughs> rather than facing them. So I knew death bothered me. Um, not, I mean, it bothers everybody, but mine was way overboard. Like most people in this room probably could watch a show, and if somebody in the show dies, you're not going to be in a four-day depression. I would be. I could not encounter anything with death because to me, in my heart, without realizing it, that said God wasn't with me. And so I would go into despair. I tried not to think about death as much as I could. So I skirted around it and avoided as much as I could. Along with that fear was the fear of doctors and medicine. One of the leaders in the satanic rituals was a doctor. And I was drugged quite a bit during all of it. So guess what? I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to avoid doctors and I'm going to avoid medicine. And you know, I've done a really good job, I thought. I did a really good job until about a year ago. <laughs> it, I thought it was working. I thought it was working really good for me. And when I did feel bad, I just wouldn't accept that I was sick because that's what the things I would skirt around and not deal with it. So a few months ago, I realized I really should go see a doctor. What I'm doing isn't working. All my analyzing, all my figuring out, all the things I've been doing, 
It's just not getting it. As I thought about going to see the doctor, as I thought about them wanting to put me on medicine, as I thought about the possibility, listen to this, y'all. This is how weird the carnal mind can become. When I started dealing with the idea that I might be mortal, because <laughs> you see, I was skirting around death. And so you, you can't entertain the idea that your body's mortal. You've got to avoid it. You've got to run from it. You've got to hide from it. So as, as inevitable as our mortal body's dying is, those things started coming up in my heart. Not during the day, because during the day, I could skirt around them. I could stay busy. I could do what, you know, I could do. And I could go to sleep. But during the night, the fear would just jar me awake. And it came in the form of the absence of God. That's what I felt, just like is what I believed as that little girl, that God was not with me, that God would not help me. And I was all alone. And that was the worst part of it. This went on and on and on for about 30 nights. I didn't even have words. It was just the cries out of my heart. But you know, don't you think God knew what was in there? God knew exactly what was in there. And this story ends up really good. <laughs> I'll tell you now, it ends up really good. So I began as the nights went on and on and on, the fear rose, where was my God? Why wasn't he taking away all this fear? Why wasn't he taking care of what was, whatever it is that's wrong? Night after night after night, I cried out as best as I knew how with my feelings and all that I was. On the 30th night, <clears throat> words began to form out of my despair. And this is what I began to say. God, I don't even care how all of this ends up. I don't care what's going on in the carnal realm. All I want to know is that you are with me and you are the only thing that matters to me. Bam, bam. That was the place, giving up the ghost, letting it go, letting go of all your efforts and your trying, and you trying to get God to do what you want him to do because you think that's what's going to give you life and peace and joy. I had stopped seeking life from this world. That's what happened. And now it didn't seem important at all. I just wanted God's life, and I wanted to live out of my relationship with him, which y'all I've had since I was 25. It's not that I didn't have the relationship. It's that things in my heart were hurting the relationship that I had with God. So in the next couple of days, I made an appointment with the doctor. One doctor, another doctor, another doctor, another doctor. Biopsies. And it dawned on me, where is the fear? No fear. No fear. When did God do that? I mean, sometimes you have an epiphany and you know it happened. I can't say when he took it out of me. 
But by the time I went to the first doctor, all the fear was gone. When the doctor gave me the diagnosis of cancer, I didn't care at all. I wasn't afraid. In fact, Larry was there with me. I felt like I had to console him. I mean, he was trying to hold back tears. And I'm going, what's wrong, man? <laughs> you know? This is okay. <laughs> this is okay. And I can remember one of the things, you know how sometimes somebody just says something and it may not be for that exact moment, but it goes deep in your heart and you hold on to it and you don't let go of it. Well, in <clears throat> Word of Faith that I was in, there were certain things, like I said, that we focused on that were very important to the exclusion of many of the points that were most important in the gospel. Well, one of them was about Lazarus being raised from the dead. A lot of emphasis on that and that, hey, there's my answer. There's my answer. He was raised from the dead, see? And in my mind, sick, carnal mind, that took care of mortality. He was raised from the dead. One day, my wonderful son just shattered my little carnal mind. And he said, you know, Lazarus did die again. No, I didn't know that. I had never entertained the thought. Because you see, you weren't allowed to entertain that thought. You could only entertain the thing that you wanted. Oh my gosh, how scrawny and frail is the carnal mind in anything that is not from God. Only God's life can stand up to all these things and bring you out of it happy and with a smile on your face. I have been filled with more love and joy and peace than I think I ever have been. Why was that? It's because I've been listening to the faith of the Son of God for week after week after week. And finally, I gave up the ghost. He'd been putting what I needed all along. I gave up the ghost and I said I'm not going to try to get my life from the things of this world anymore and I'm not going to run from the things that scare me. I'm going to let God come in and take care of those fears for me. I'm not saying I don't get knocked down sometimes because I did. But all I have to do is go and talk to him again. And there's the faith of the Son of God and the Comforter just telling me exactly what I need to know, pulling me up out of the carnal dirt and lifting me up to immortality and resurrection power. God has shown me how to rejoice when I am weak. And it isn't through my strength and my power. It's by pouring out my weakness to him and letting him fill me up with his strength and his life. And he does it over and over and over. So I've been going to chemo for about oh, eight weeks at this point. Who would have thought chemo could be so much fun? <laughs> Not me. I can promise you, 
not me. But somehow, God has made it so much fun. My kids fight over who's going to go with me. I mean, I knew I was loved, but, you know, who wants to go sit with their mom for four to six hours every week? They do. They do. It's been amazing. And we don't just sit there and, oh, I'm so good. We play cards. We laugh. We joke around with the nurses. We joke around with everybody else. And one of the particularly funny things about it is I am not a drinker. I have never been a drinker. When I do drink, not good things happen. <laughs> and it doesn't take much for those to start to happen. So I just realized at a very young age, you know, in my teens, don't do that. Well, you know, in chemo, they want to give you stuff so you won't have a reaction to the chemo. And uh, so they give me a lot of Benadryl. And so about 10 minutes in to getting the Benadryl, my speech starts slurring. I superimpose syllables in opposite places that they should be. We're playing cards and all of a sudden I can't see the numbers too good and I'm dropping the cards all over the place. Can't keep the score anymore. And they think it's hilarious. Because <laughs> look at mom. <laughs> She's not uptight. She doesn't care. She's just having a good time and laughing. And that's what happens week after week after week. And then, you know, they're filling you with all these IDs, so you got to get up and walk to the bathroom, and you, you got this pole. Well, I list to the right, <laughs> and I step over my feet. So they've got to walk me to the bathroom because I can't get there in my own strength. They think that's hilarious, too. And so the very thing that you would think would be bringing us sadness because of God has brought us great joy. So my kids have a, a, a joke going on. They said it, it took God 50 years to get me loosened up so I could laugh at myself and enjoy who I was without needing to be perfect. So I had been filled with God's love and peace and joy for eight weeks. I mean, nothing could touch it. I was so happy all the time. Just one thing after another would happen. And it just seemed like I could enjoy the things in life that I couldn't even enjoy before. I appreciated the things. I didn't need them for life, though. And I think that's why I could enjoy them. Because I didn't need them. And I knew I didn't need them but they were there so I could enjoy them. So I was focused on the things above and not on the things of this earth. And then I was talking about I get hit hard. My hair started falling out. Have you ever been around a woman wanting her hair to look just right? Have you ever waited for a woman trying to fix her hair? It's a big issue in the heart. And I'm going, I'm crying, I'm going to God, and I'm going, wait a minute, something's wrong here. I've been having all this joy through chemo, and now I'm in despair 
because my hair's falling out. I got to talk to God. I got to talk to God. So I said, God, what is wrong? Why is this upsetting me so much? So this is what he said. Like I said, he has a lot to say when we ask him stuff. He said, who would have ever thought chemo could be so much fun? I thought, that's right. And he said, well, have a good time losing your hair, too. Throw yourself a party. Throw myself a party. Well, the pastors that uh, Greg and Becky were under uh, in Colorado, he wrote a book, Throw Yourself a Party. And it was his take of be of good cheer during tribulation because God had overcome the world. And that family had a lot of pretty hefty things happen, but they threw parties. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw a party. Now, it's amazing the people that get involved. So one of my son-in-laws, he says, you can call it a haremony instead of a ceremony, a haremony. And I thought, that's great. So I am going to section my hair off in all these little bits, and I'm going to let each person in my family shave off that section of hair. I didn't invite the guys because I didn't think that they would think that was very much fun. But some of them came anyway and had a blast. They were trying on wigs. You should see my husband as a strawberry blonde with curls down his face. It was awesome. We had so much fun. So we had a, a fashion show and I tried on a whole bunch of different wigs and hair coverings, and they voted on what they liked the best. And then they started trying them all on. We had so much fun. So let me tell you, even though it may not seem like it's possible, I've had a blast through the cancer. And it's because my relationship with God has risen above anything of importance in this world. I don't need the things of this world. And if I temporarily get knocked off my horse, like I did with my hair, I can go to him and he can speak to it like that. And he'll keep speaking until my heart gets healed. I don't want you to forget about the 30 nights that I was crying. I don't want to give a false sense that there are times when there are things in our heart and while we're saying we're giving them to God, I think we're also holding on with every bit of our strength that we can not wanting to give it to him. So I think there, there will be times where there's going to be sadness. And so I don't want to say that that doesn't exist. I want to give a real balance to this message that yes, there are going to be those times. There will be tribulation. But I'm, what I'm saying is God's resurrection power is bigger than any tribulation we will ever face. It will rise above it. It will take us out of despair and bring us into his life of love and joy and peace. It comes to overcome anything that's trying to harm us. <coughs> 
So after I had this ceremony, I never felt lack again. I just felt abundance. And it's like, how does that even happen? But you see, I had to have my heart cleansed from the world system. Because the world system says there's something wrong if a woman doesn't have hair. And fortunately, God has not had to deal with it. So I guess the Holy Spirit just dealt with it somewhere in the past. But you know, there are scriptures about a woman's hair being her glory. And I mean, I was taught that. And I was in a church that said, you shouldn't cut your hair. And, and somehow all of that was gone. And all, as soon as I heard, throw yourself a party, the fear left, the shame left, and I was set free. Does hair make a person who they are? No. Does a lack of hair make a person who they are? Do you become a different person because you don't have hair? So why is it that the carnal thinking has, has such a hard grasp on us and make us believe that? How can a person that's been going through chemo for eight weeks then go in despair because they're losing their hair? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. But this really doesn't make sense. The fact that having hair or not having hair can have such a big effect on your life that it can somehow change your identity or how you think about yourself or think about how somebody else might think about you. See, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. When I'm immortal, I'm not going to be looking at my hair. I'm going to be gazing into the face of my God, seeing him face to face and saying, this is where life is. I am more free today. I can love myself more today. I can accept who I am more today than I have ever before in my life. And it's because I let that fear come out and God came in and removed it so that it's gone. It's gone. This is real living and it has nothing to do with this world or the things of this world. It has to do with God's love and his peace and his joy. And the good news is he will get us there. Nobody can get to this place without him. It's only him. Now, some people might say, I got a diagnosis and it's saying that my body is dying. And like I said, the doctor, I mean, he, I thought he was gonna cry and I was gonna have to console him. Well, let's think about this in God's perspective. Same thing's true about you. Are you not dying day by day, one day at a time? And as you are dying one day at a time, the outside of you decaying, the inside is being renewed daily. And the end of that journey 
is the manifestation of immortality, of who you really are with nothing of this world pulling you down. So we can look at life in two different ways. We can either look at it by the foolishness of this world and think that the things here really do matter, or we can look at it in the foolishness of the gospel that says what matters is who God says you are, that he is your God, you are his child. He has given you a life that's so much better than this world could ever begin to give you. Our lives are constantly bombarded by contradictions. Each contradiction tries to assault us. But I have found over the last few months that it is a golden opportunity to be filled once again with God's wisdom, once again with his perspective, filled again anew with the faith of the Son of God, his perspective, and what the world calls foolishness. And what I found is as I let him do that for me, I get more joyful, I get more peaceful, and I feel more of his love. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Boy, that'll mess up the carnal mind. I'm dead, yet I'm alive. How does that work? I mean, we really need the Holy Spirit. You know, we need the spirit of wisdom to explain these things to us. And the life that I'm living while I'm dead, I'm not living it. But the faith of God is living it in me. That is what I have experienced the last few months. But I have experienced, and I know I've experienced it before, but I've experienced it such a, a deeper new depth that it has begun affecting everything, everything that I look at. It's so much easier to see everything from God's perspective, whereas before I saw everything from the world's perspective easier than I saw it from God's perspective. So my life and your life is so intertwined with the life of God that we can think his thoughts and we can feel his feelings and his fruit can flow through us as we fellowship with him through our life while we're in this fallen world. The last few months have been amazing for me, a joyful experience for me beyond what I could have ever imagined. I've watched God renew my inner man in so many ways, and not only me. I have watched him renew the people around me, that he has touched their hearts and helped them to see things the way that he saw them about this and other things also. I'm almost done. So, of course, because I was petrified of doctors and medicine and needles, I didn't like going to the dentist either. Well, nobody likes going to the dentist, but I was petrified. There were so many things that happened in a dentist's room that triggered me back to the abuse. And I, again, felt that same thing. God is not with me. But I couldn't have voiced it 
ever before until this time. So chemo started taking a toll on my teeth. So guess what else I get to do? <laughs> yeah, I get to let the faith of the Son of God come and set me free again. But that's not how I looked at it. <laughs> I thought, man, God, you know, you've taken care of all this. Why, why do I have to go through this now? So anyway, I make the appointment. I'm in the dental chair. And all of a sudden, I hear God. And he's talking to me, and I hear him as my daddy, as Jesus heard him on the cross. I am your shepherd. You don't lack anything. And he said, watch what I'm going to do. <laughs> right while you're in a dental chair, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures, and I'm leading you to still waters. I am restoring and healing your soul while you're in the dental chair. Remember, he sets the table in the presence of our enemies. Our enemies do not have the power to override the life of God. They do not have it. Even though you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil, for I am with you. That was the thing that my heart doubted all those years, and I didn't realize it. He was with me. I am your comfort. I have set a table before you in the presence of your enemy, fear. And your cup is going to run over with abundance. There it was. I tell you, I tell you, only God. When I think about going to the dentist, I think about my cup running over. I think about God being my shepherd, and I'm going to get to go be in green pastures. How is that possible? Come on, that's not possible in this world. No Mercedes, no mansion, no anything in this world can do that for us. But God can. And he does it easily, but at a great cost. The cost was the blood of Jesus. That's how precious we are to him. He gave his all so he could give us this life. So I can rejoice when I'm weak. I can take pleasure in infirmities, in necessities, in persecutions. For when I am weak, that's when I am strong. But not in my strength, in his strength. It's his strength that's strong. Fear is a terrible thing. It's birth from the serpent's belief system. It's a torment. And when the life of God hits it, it obliterates that fear. I have found out over the last few months that you can have God's love, joy, and peace when you're sick. I didn't realize that. At least not to the level that I've got it. I mean, I'm overflowing with the abundance of it. But that's what the gospel does. That's what the life of God does. It comes and it rises above anything that's coming at, at you. Okay. In Ephesians 3, I'm not going to read through the whole scripture, but Paul prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. What faith? 
the faith of the Son of God. So that we would be rooted in love, not the kind of love that the world might try to give us, but his love. And he said, so that the power and strength of God would be in us so we could experience the length and breadth and height of his, of his love for us. And then it says, so you may be filled with the fullness of God and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. There are no qualifiers in this verse. It does not say you can experience this love if you're healthy. It does not say you can experience it only if you've got a new car or you just got the promotion you wanted. In fact, Romans 8 removes all the qualifiers. It says, what can separate us from this love of God? Tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. The sword? No. Nothing that we could encounter in this world can rise above or separate us from this love of God. That's how powerful this gospel is, the spirit that dwells in us. It can't be overcome. I know in this country, it's easy to think that worldly things are what we need to have life. But you know, you can have God's fruit flowing through you when your AC is broken in the middle of the summer. <laughs> He'll show you. <laughs> so a week ago, I was meditating on a song um, that really touched my heart when I was first saved. And the words are, um, Lord, you are more precious than silver. You're more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord. And I was just meditating on that song, and it was just, it's always been precious to me. It's the first song, you know, that the Holy Spirit just really filled me up with. About five minutes into that meditation, <clears throat> this is what I hear. Denise, you are more precious than silver. You are more costly than gold to me. You are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. I have exalted you. I have exalted you. I have exalted you in and with me. I cried and I cried and I cried and I got filled with the love of God. I was overwhelmed by it and nothing else mattered. That's the life of God. When we get his life, Nothing else matters. The experience of it, it takes care of all the things that we really ever wanted in our heart. And I, I want to say this one thing, and I, I won't be able to repeat it as good as I did before, but Greg posted it. It's on Facebook. But it starts out with, what if God is somebody else than what he thought he was, than what we thought he was? And then it goes on to say, what if he's better? What if he knows what our hearts really needed? We thought we needed a car. We thought we needed whatever, a schedule to work out for us. When he knew our hearts really were crying out for his love. 
in his joy, in his peace. And he knows. And the post goes on to say, he was willing to take the heat from us when he didn't give us that carnal thing that we wanted so that we could be risen up to the place where we could receive his life in his best. That's what I've been experiencing over the last few months, being raised out of the carnal idea of what life is and finding out just how powerful God's life is over anything in this world. But then the contradiction will come and it's gonna try to slap us in the face. It's gonna say, you're gonna die. It tries to fill you with fear and despair. It says, where is your God now? Look at you, your hair is gone. You can't have peace and joy and love because look at what's happening to you. You're full of lack. I have only two letters in response, BS. <laughs> Isn't it when we're weak that he's strong? That's the foolishness of our glorious gospel. That's why we don't have to stay afraid of anything because he can override it as we let him. He's the one that said he would give us joy in tribulation. It's not like we're going to him for a promise that we made up. We don't even hardly believe it's true, but he is the one that comes and he says, this is what I'm going to do for you. He doesn't expect us to produce it for ourselves. So the contradiction looks at us, looks at me, and says, you're going to die. The foolishness of the gospel responds with, how can you kill a dead man? We're already dead. The old man that was connected to this temporary world that thinks there's anything here to have is already dead. As I let him continue to set my affections on the things above, I am free from fear, free from the fear of lack, knowing that it's not even possible to have lack when I have his life. I realize I'm an immortal being and my new man is alive and well. That life can never be taken from me. I'm going to live forever. As our hearts get filled with that, that the carnal mind calls the foolishness of the gospel, our needs are all met. And they're not just all met at this moment. They were met 2,000 years ago. God met all of our needs. He knew all of our needs before we were ever born. He knows us intimately. And he's the one that came and gave us what we needed. So I'm saying that death is the contradiction. It's the contradiction to the life of God. It's already been conquered and it's been killed through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the contradiction to the cross and the power of God. We saw how powerful death was three days after Jesus was in the grave. It was just a big Goliath full of hot air in tough words that falls down in the presence and the power of God. Death has been conquered. It's been killed. Your God killed it for you. 
We may encounter its shadows here on the fallen world, but in God's presence, in the foolishness of the gospel of Christ, we find that God can raise us above what is here on this earth. We can let Abba make the afflictions that come to try and destroy us become the very opportunities so that we can be filled with the faith of God again and again and again. And as we cry out, Abba, enter your hands, I commit my life. Oh, there he is, ready to bring us his life and freedom again and again and again. Father, I thank you that you knew what the human heart needed. You knew what the human being needed when we didn't. And we thank you so much that you are faithful and that your greatest desire is that you fill us with the truth over and over and over. So realize, we will realize how truly you are with us every second and you truly know everything that we need and you truly have given it to us. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.